morning. My name is Ed. If you're new here with us, I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new this morning here or if you're new watching online, we're really glad to have you. This is Gateway's 25th year, by the way. We started 25 years ago. We will celebrate that this fall on September 10th on a Sunday morning here. Uh, when Diane and I first moved here, my wife is Diane, and when Diane and I first moved here, uh, I don't even know if we had officially launched Gateway yet. I think we had, but it was in the very early years. I was asked to do a funeral for a veteran. I'd never been to a funeral for a veteran before, much less participated in it, and this was at uh, Arlington National Cemetery. It was a military honors funeral, and I, I was blown away. I don't know if you've uh, been to one, but many of you have. It's very, very impressive. And, you know, they play taps, which I, I, I could be in a middle school gymnasium and somebody play taps and I'm going to cry. Uh, there was the flag folding ceremony, which is very impressive. And then they give the flag to the widow or to the family. That, it, this one included a gun salute. I, I don't think it was a 21-gun salute, but uh, it was... It was incredibly impressive, as it should be. It was one of those occasions where the, the um, elegance and the majesty of it kind of matched the occasion and matched the person that was uh, being honored. Um, well, our passage this week covers uh, a similar, a similarly august, a similarly majestic kind of occasion. It was ceremonial, it was epic, and it, it, was, it would have been profoundly memorable for the participants. We're looking this morning at the incident recorded for us in Exodus chapter 24. And we're going to walk through Exodus 24 this morning uh, when we look at the covenant renewal ceremony. And I'll explain that more in a minute. But we're going to start with reading verses 1 through 8. And we won't do this for the whole chapter, but let's do this to begin with. Uh, you know, out of reverence for God's word, let's go old school and stand. And I'm going to read the first eight verses. And there's one phrase here where the uh, congregation participated with Moses in the covenant renewal ceremony. I'm going to ask you to say that with me. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, uh, Aaron's sons, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship, notice that, at a distance. But Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went up and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, that's interesting because uh, Exodus 20, which offers the Ten Commandments, begins with, these are the words of the Lord. And Exodus 21, which begins that section we talked about last week, which is a whole lot of uh, articulation of various laws and regulations, that begins, these are the laws. So I think he's referring there to the Ten Commandments and the, and the laws, what he will call the Book of the Covenant. Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, and they responded with one voice, and this is you, one, two, three, go. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. Isn't that fascinating? That may have been the first edition of the Old Testament. And we get to hear a clear indication of how the Old Testament was articulated to us. Moses didn't just try to remember all of this, but he wrote stuff down as he went along. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. He built an altar 
and he set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And you're beginning to see the pageantry build, right? Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood of it in bowls and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the, 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 then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. And they responded, one, two, three. Yes. Moses then took the blood, listen, and sprinkled it on the people. I'm going to talk in a minute about why that might have happened, but I can tell you, you know, they would not have been able to go quickly to the local laundromat. So this blood would have dried and would have been on their clothes for weeks, maybe months, constantly reminding them of this ceremony that they had just participated in. He said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Father, bless this morning uh, this reading to us and bless your word to us. Speak to our hearts. We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, worship always involves rhythm, liturgy, symbols, and often pageantry of some kind. Our most important occasions always do. I suspect it's just part of our wiring. Think of Think of uh, wedding for those of you who are married or you've been to a wedding. Think of the Super Bowl or presidential inaugurations or military honors funerals. Uh, Well, there there was all of that on the occasion recounted for us in Exodus 24, symbols and, and pageantry and liturgy. There was an altar. There were 12 stone pillars. There was animal sacrifices. There was the blood application ceremony. There was the reading of the book of the covenant. Actually, twice he read the book of the covenant. Technically speaking, the occasion described in Exodus 24 was a covenant renewal ceremony, as I've said. So I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but it's important to understand what a, what a covenant really was, especially if you're going to read the Old Testament. Covenant was a typical technical language for agreements in the ancient Near East. This was not just Israel, not just the Bible. Throughout the ancient Near East, they would make covenants between great individuals or covenants between city-states or covenants between nation-states. And typically, the covenant would go something like this. A greater nation-state would make a covenant, except they didn't say make a covenant. In, In the Old Testament, the word is literally cut a covenant. You'll hear why in a minute. They would make a covenant with a a lesser nation state. And those agreements would sound something like, I am the greater king and, and I, the sun rises and sets with me and I will protect you. Your enemies will be my enemies. Nothing will come against you if you whatever, pay me tribute or, or uh, give me taxes once a year. They read similar (coughs) to our old Testament uh, because Uh, God was using that form, that language, to communicate himself, to communicate relationship with his people. This was a covenant renewal ceremony. And when, when covenants were made, or covenants literally were cut, or when covenants were renewed, they would always have an elaborate ceremony, and it usually involved uh, some kind of sacrifice, and often what would happen is they would, they would find an animal, a bull, large animal, 
they would cut the animal in half, essentially signifying, I'm making, I'm cutting a covenant with you. And then literally, they would lay out the two sides of the uh, dead animal on two separate sides of the altar. And the two kings, or the two great parties, or the lesser king and the greater king, would walk between the pieces on, that, were, that had been sacrificed on either side, essentially saying, I'm going to keep my part of the covenant. The other one's saying, and I'm going to keep my part of the covenant. Sometimes one of the kings would walk through and then get to the other side, and then the other king would walk back through the other way to signify to themselves, to one another, and to their people, we're cutting a covenant with one another. We're going to keep our part. You keep your part. I'm going to keep my part if you keep your part. The reason this occasion, the, the occasion in, in uh, Exodus 24, the reason this occasion was marked by liturgy and symbols and pageantry is partly because God accommodates himself to us. We talked about this again uh, two or three weeks ago. I, thought, I, think, I hope you've already heard that in some of what I've said. God accommodates himself to us. That is the part of the purpose behind this pageantry and, and the symbolism. He has to. In order to make himself known to us, he has to accommodate himself to us. I used the illustration a few weeks ago. Think of, think of yourself when you communicate with your children or when someone else's children. You, don't, you often, especially with very young children, you often don't talk the same way. You don't use the same language that you do with your friends. You're accommodating yourself to your child infinitely more so when God communicates himself to us. And notice how God accommodates himself to these Israelites here. He uses typical forms of worship and typical relationship agreements to help them understand, I'm, build, I'm offering myself to you. I want to enter in with you. We're going to have a relationship. This isn't just about you doing things. We're going to have a relationship with one another. So, for example, they set up an altar. Altars as a centerpiece of worship was a part of religious practice throughout the ancient world. Every religion did this. These Israelites would have understood the significance of an altar. God didn't need an altar. They did. Or another example, the sacred stones. All religions set up monumentations like this to remember their God and to signify how great their God is or, or their relationship with their God. God didn't need these sacred stones. This was for the people themselves. Even the whole idea of a covenant relationship. This was God's accommodating himself to their worldview. They understood covenants. They knew that's how people related to one another. God accommodates to himself, himself to us whenever he communicates himself to us. Uh, Diane and I just got back last week from the beach. I don't know if you've heard that, but we spent a couple of weeks at the beach, and it was really awesome. Uh, while I was at the beach, I read a couple of books on prayer, and uh, awesome. Uh, one of them was called Dirty Glory. It's by a guy named Pete Gregg. Uh, Gregg described a situation in which a man named Brian was considering making a huge move in his life. He was considering leaving his current home. He's from England. He was going to leave England and move to Ibiza, Spain. And, uh, you know, very, very different environments. He, he was part of a ministry in England, very happy where he was. He had uh, two kids, and uh, he was 
considering leaving the place that he loved, the place where his children went to school, the place that his children uh, loved, and moving to Ibiza, Spain. It would have been a dramatic change for himself and his wife, certainly, but especially for the children. So he struggled, was seeking out, you know, what God wanted him to do. I want you to listen to this account. One of the first things Brian did on returning to England was to buy a book about Ibiza. Feeling a little jet laggy, he took it upstairs, lay on the bed. Lord, is this Ibiza thing you, he whispered. At that precise moment in his reverie, it was shattered by a blast of music from next door. Whoa, said the voice, we're going to Ibiza. Brian's niece, knowing nothing of her uncle's dilemma, had just randomly chosen to play an old hit from the Venga Boys. It was a dance song, and then she played it again, and again, and again. Brian laughed. Okay, maybe, but if you don't mind, I need a little more than a dodgy dance track, Lord. On Monday, that Monday morning, a mentally ill homeless transvestite turned up unannounced to see Brian in his church office. He was wearing tights under filthy ripped jeans and a touch of eyeliner. He smelled terrible, but Brian really didn't mind. People like this were his favorite part of pastoral ministry. Not mine, so don't wear your tights. Without knowing anything at all about Brian's dilemma, the man looked at him in the eye and said, I've got a house for you, Brian. It's in Ibiza. You should go there. He didn't have anything of the kind. It was just a random comment from an addled mind that somehow spoke directly into the specific question Brian was privately asking the Lord. God accommodates himself to us, fortunately. So he speaks to us through worship songs that are composed of tunes that fit our ear, that fit our culture. He speaks through specific places and even physical objects. He speaks through ceremonies. He speaks through random pop songs and transvestites and tights. He knows he must speak in these ways if we are to understand him. But God is after obviously more than the pageantry of worship. God is after more than just the pageantry of worship. He he was after their hearts. And he's after ours. This wasn't, the, the, the covenant renewal ceremony wasn't essentially a performance And what we do here on Sunday morning is not gather to look at how, I don't see him in here, but to look at how devastatingly handsome our drummer Eric is. Or to watch something like a TED Talk up here and observe. That's not what we do here. This is not a performance. God is after our hearts. This is why the blood from the sacrifice was scattered on the crowd. This symbolized to them and reminded them that what was being enacted, it was about them. It was for them. They were participants and recipients. It applied to their lives. This is also why God called the experience worship. Did you hear that? I tried to highlight that in verse one. God himself called it that. In a secular setting, this entire pageantry would have been called a covenant renewal ceremony. But God called it worship. Because he's after our hearts. He still is today with us. Okay, it's also important to remember that 
The symbols and the liturgy are not just for the sake of pageantry. They were also training mechanisms. The symbols, the liturgy, were training mechanisms. And I'm going to give you an important example. The same is true for us. We're going to engage this, this morning, in a few minutes, in a training mechanism. It is a remembrance, it is a ceremonial act of worship, and it is a training mechanism. For instance, the animal sacrifice part of this covenant renewal ceremony, it would have trained them in the principle of substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. Fancy word. Atonement means two things are at odds with one another, bring them together, atone them to one another. And substitutionary, you get it. One thing is substituted for another. In, in, or, in other words, in order for me to live, this is what they're being trained in. In order for me to live, something must die in my place. Something must undergo the punishment that I deserve. I got a parking ticket on Polly's Island because they're sticklers for parking, things like that on Polly's Island. Polly's Island is the beach that Diane and I were at. We were at the beach a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if I've mentioned that yet. And in order for me to continue to use my car on Polly's Island and to avoid increasingly belligerent notes from the Polly's Island Police Department, Diane and I will need to pay the fine. We'll need to write a check. And I, when I say we, I mean Diane. We'll need to write a check and uh, take, put, find the envelope and responsibly put it in the envelope, mail it back to Polly's Island. We, will, we must pay the fine or... Someone could pay it for us. So if someone wanted to atone me to the Pauly's Island, because we were at Pauly's Island, we were at the beach a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if I've mentioned that. If someone wanted to atone me to the Pauly's Island police authorities and substitute my payment with your payment, then be my guest in the same way. The sacrificed animals act as a substitute for the Israelites, covering their sin covering what the, the phlegm and the distance between themselves and God. And this whole worship process was designed to train them to understand that and to remember that. And remember, this whole system, the whole sacrificial system, the entire Old Testament sacrificial system, it was temporary. It was in place until an absolutely perfect sacrifice could be offered that would cover sins once for all. And that would happen. That was Jesus. As I said, it's important to remember that the symbol and liturgy are not just for the sake of pageantry, they're also training mechanisms. Another example would be the altars. Uh, the, the, the physical representation of God's presence. God is here, the altar. Look, we are embodied human beings. We, we, place matters to us. Because we occupy a place. We are not free-floating spirits that are able to be in many places at once. We are here and we are now. We are in a body. In keeping with that, God sanctifies certain places. That means he makes certain places special. It's not that God is in that place any more than he's somewhere else. It's that we are in that place. And we need that kind of signification. That's why, by the way, I, I almost always have my devotional time with God at the same spot in my home every morning. 
That's why we worship here in this same space almost every Sunday morning. Some of you come like once every other month. We're here every week. I don't know if you knew that. But in effect, we set up an altar here. We establish a place of God's presence. Worship always involves rhythm, liturgy, symbols, and often pageantry of some kind. The reason this occasion was marked by liturgy and symbols and pageantry is partly because God accommodates himself to us. But God is obviously after more than the pageantry of worship. He's after our hearts. It's also important to remember that the symbols and the liturgy are not just for the sake of pageantry. They are training mechanisms. Okay, now I'm going to read verses 9 through 11. And we'll be quicker with this and quicker still with the last paragraph. And I lied earlier. I confess it now. We're going to go old school again and stand out of reverence for God's word. Because this is good. This is Exodus 24, 9 through 11, continuation of the description of the uh, covenant renewal ceremony. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, the 70 elders of Israel, went up and saw the God of Israel. He paused for dramatic effect. We are expecting now an elaborate description. And we don't get it. Under his feet, was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, sapphire, probably. As bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites, and they might have expected that, because when you see God, you die. They saw God, and they ate and drank. They ate and drank. All right, you may be seated. Not that paragraph, Mike. So it seems like what happens here is that these 74 go up on the mountain and participate. They were the ones that participated in the actual covenant meal, probably. It seems that they may have eaten the meal representing the rest of the Israelites. So the rest of the company stays around, camped around the mountain. The 74 went up, part way up on the mountain, and they eat the covenant meal, again, representing the entire Israelite company. Now, the covenant renewal ceremony almost always had a meal element to it. This is because in the ancient Near East, as in most cultures, common meals signified friendship, approval, and respect. So a common meal would seal the covenanting process. I approve of you. I approve of you. It's like a big elaborate handshake and hug. By the way, this is why Jesus would get in trouble for eating with unsavory characters. The religious leaders around him to them, it seemed like you're just approving of their behavior and their lifestyle. Of course, many things would be remembered and celebrated and renewed with a meal in the Jewish context. For example, almost all sacrifice services were a meal. Uh, another example is the great Passover celebration. This was a remembrance of the Exodus event and centered around the, the, the whole thing centered around a common meal. And the practice of using meals as a central mechanism to celebrate and commemorate, this sets, set the stage for one of the most significant ways that the followers of Jesus would remember him. Remember, Jesus instituted the common meal that we eat together and that we'll be celebrating in just a few moments as a way of remembering. So, if we take this account seriously, and we do, we have to ask, 
what did those 74 humans see? What did they actually see up on the mountain when they, quote, saw the God of Israel? That is an incredibly epic thing to experience. And yet Moses is very, very short on detail. Actually, there's no detail at all. Most commentators agree that the most we can say is that they vaguely saw some sort of general shape that God allowed them to see. Uh, Two things that stand out about that that I think we should remember. First of all, they saw something that indicated to them, and importantly, that indicated to them this is a person, not a thing. That's significant. Secondly, uh, there's one thing that they do see very clearly and with definition, and what this really does is highlight what they don't see with clear definition about God himself. They do see one thing clearly and with definition. They see a platform under his feet. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. Interestingly, this whole picture is consistent with other visions of God recorded in the Bible. People don't really see God exactly, as we might expect. 1 John 4.12 explicitly tells us that. But, but they see something that lets them know that they are dealing with a person. This is a personal relationship. And often they see something like a platform or a throne when they, when they have a vision of God. An example might be Exodus chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. The whole picture is usually overwhelming and majestic and pretty mysterious. And this should remind us that God reveals himself to us in various ways. In this passage, he revealed himself as a vague shape to a company on the mountain. At the same time, the rest of the Israelites were camped around the mountain. They they see God as this majestic fire-breathing cloud that covers the top of the mountain. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul saw a blinding light. Some of you know that story. At Jesus' baptism, various witnesses saw a dove descend out of heaven. I knew a woman once who experienced God's presence like spots of light in her vision. I believe God delights in revealing himself to us, and for our part, our part is to be on the lookout. All right, now we're going to read Exodus 12 through 18, and I won't ask you to stand, but this is the last paragraph, and we won't have much to say about this. We'll wrap up. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua's aid, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you, Aaron and Hur are with you and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them because they needed a way to continue to handle their dispute. So Moses turned it over to Aaron and her. Then Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. So maybe six days Moses is climbing, or maybe he camped out at a certain point and waited for the seventh day. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. We will find out in a, a couple of weeks uh, how, they, how this company of Israelites very inappropriately occupied their time while Moses was up on the mountain. They, they uh, uh, essentially 
made a false god and began to worship it. Uh, it's it's un- unfortunate how quickly we can forget, right, and, and get distracted. I want to end today by looking at another covenant renewal ceremony that tees up a little bit of uh, what we're doing this morning with communion, but also uh, it is, it's just a reminder of an echo that we're going to see throughout these Old Testament covenanting situations we especially see in the New Testament. I don't have this on the screen, so follow me with this if you would. But way back in Genesis, uh, God offered a covenant. He offered to cut a covenant or make a covenant with Abraham. His name hadn't been changed yet. He was called Abram. And uh, Exodus 15 recounts the words that God says to Abram and, and Abram's response. And it, it reads uh, much like an a typical ancient Near Eastern uh, covenant and a covenant ceremony. But I want you to hear the ceremony part of Genesis 15 because it is utterly astounding. This is one of those things that if you're trying to read through the Bible and if you read Genesis 15, you'll read this chapter and go, what? Uh, You need to know a little bit of detail and we're not 100% sure what happens here, but it's pretty clear. Listen to this, it's so cool. Genesis 15, um, so the Lord said to him, said to Abram, bring me a heifer, a goat, and ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these up to them, cut them in two, and arrange the halves opposite each other. Exactly what I was explaining to you earlier, one half on one side of the altar, one half on the other side of the altar. Then birds of prey came down the carcasses, but Abram, Abram drove them away. Little detail. As the sun was setting, listen to this, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. What? But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. This is the story of the Exodus. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sins of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Again, the story of the Exodus. Listen to this last paragraph. Don't write this off as bizarre. Let me explain it to you. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, The Lord made or cut a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I'm going to give this land from the river Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, etc. He he continues to describe the boundaries. (sighs) Look, it seems like what this means, it seems like the the covenant is cut and the the animals are on either side of the altar. Abram is in a, a kind of waking sleep And he sees this uh, torch and this blazing unit of some kind, and they pass between the pieces of the covenant. And it seems as if God is communicating to Abram, Abram, that's me, and that's me. And I'm walking between the cut pieces of the covenant because I'm going to fulfill both sides of the covenant. Mine and yours. Because you can't get it done, Abram. 
So I'm going to fulfill my side of the covenant, and I'm going to fulfill your side. And that's what he did in Jesus. He fulfilled our side of the arrangement. So what you and I need to do is say, yes, everything, God. Because he's done it, and he offers it us freely. That's what we celebrate this morning. We celebrate him fulfilling our side of the covenant. Let's, uh, as we continue, let's affirm our faith together. So I'm going to ask you, as a part of preparing us to go have this meal together, I want you to stand and let's say the Nicene Creed together. Let's stand. Read with me. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. The kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, he proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life in the world to come. Amen. Peace of the Lord be with you. Now, before you go to participate in this meal... I want you to pass Christ's peace to one another, and I want you to mean it. We do that at Gateway by saying, peace of the Lord be with you. The other person says, and also with you. Or we say, how are you? And the other person says, whatever they want to say. Turn and pass Christ's peace to one another. We have three ladies that are going to host our tables this morning, Michelle, Rhonda, and Michelle. They are going to come to your section and invite you to go participate in the meal. And if you want to go, please do. Uh, this is a mercy meal. You don't, don't go because you deserve it. Um, go because you want to participate, you want to remember, you want to celebrate, you want to continue this with an act of worship. Uh, you, we, we would like to have 15 or 20 around the table on each rotation. So they'll have to come through a couple of times. While they're coming through, as you're, both as you're participating in the meal and as you're sitting here, I want you to do two things. I want you to sing with Jordan and or I want you to participate in your seat uh, with contemplation. Let me give you three. These are not on the screen, but let me give you three things that I'd like for you to consider today in our final moments together. And let's do some work together. Remember, it's after our hearts. You're in this. Right now, the blood is being spread on your clothing. You're, you're a participant. You're not just an observer. 
So let's engage. Let's do some work. Three things. One, what do you need to commemorate? What do you, what, what, what's going on in your life or has happened over the last few years or the last few months that you need to stop and pause and, and build an altar, set up some stones and commemorate to thank God or to grieve with God or to celebrate? What do you need to commemorate? You just ran over it like a speed bump, but you need to pause on it. Secondly, uh, verse 3 is a reminder that the covenant is all or nothing. All these words we said. This is the nature of relating to God. Jesus put it like this. Some of you know this one. You can't serve both God and money. It's one or the other. Uh, Is there something getting in the way for you? Is there some specific way that you're falling short? Are you trying to serve or be committed to something other than God? Be deeply invested in something other than your connection with God. Is there something at the center of your life other than Jesus Christ? Third, the covenant relationship celebrated here, the animal that was sacrificed, the blood that was scattered, even the substance of the covenant itself, all of it, point to Jesus. Is Jesus at the center of your spiritual life and experience? I'm not talking about spirituality. I'm not talking about richness. I'm not talking about prayer. Jesus, the person of Jesus and a relationship with him. Is he at the center of your life and your spiritual experience? If he's not, let's put him there this morning. Let's acknowledge him and put him there. Okay, Uh, something to think about. Now we've got something to reflect on. Let's sing with Jordan. Let's do some work. 